Hi, you found the Out of the Ordinary podcast, where we believe that the very best stories grow out of the soil of ordinary life. I'm Christy Purifoy. And I'm Lisa Jo Baker. And a few of our favorite ordinary things in this extraordinary time of global quarantine are FaceTiming with long-distance friends, the smell of fresh sheets, and all those overdue library books I have that have now had their fines waived. <laughs> and Lisa Joe, mine are headphones, four pairs on four kids, the internet, which is keeping us connected, and my seedlings, my baby seeds under grow lights in the basement. Friends, may you find joy in today's conversation. Get comfy. Here we go. Okay, this next conversation is part of a fun series we're excited to share with you all. In these days of quarantine and cabin fever, we want to help you and ourselves see our homes less like places where we are trapped with frighteningly low supplies of toilet paper and more like places of refuge and welcome for ourselves and others we love. (laughs) This is the Home Series, stories from our favorite rooms in the house. We hope this series offers you new ways to see your space and a fresh appreciation for all the magic that lives within your ordinary walls. No matter how tired, frazzled, or frustrated you might feel today, take the next half hour to exhale as we remind you how awesome your home and all its stories really are. Today, we're telling stories from the dining room. And Chrissy, I don't know about you, but I'm guessing you, along with every single listener, has a dining room that looks very different than it has in the past months. (laughs) I think that's true. Maybe not for the same reasons, but for you and I, the very same reason, we're schooling our kids at home now in our dining room. I think this is true in your house as well, Lisa Jo. Um, Our dining room is now a school room. Actually, I took a photo the other day. So maybe we'll we'll share this picture as we're, you know, telling people about this episode. I just sat there and I took a picture and it's not okay, so you know, Lisa Joe, the kind of photos I share on Instagram. I tend to take pictures of empty rooms that look so quietly beautiful <laughs> and the light is slanting just so. And that's always, you know, that beauty. That's what draws my eye. And I took a picture the other day and it wasn't my usual kind of beauty. I think it was a different kind of beauty, I guess, but it was It was the mess. I was taken with the mess Mm. because the mess is so unusual for my dining room. It wasn't the mess of half-melted candles and plates with, you know, crumbs left on them and napkins, you know, crumpled and discarded. Um, It was the mess of numerous tangled wires of headphones (laughs) and little Chromebooks and iPads and laptops and notebooks and art paper and stacks of books and um, craft supplies and on and on and on because my four children uh, gather in the dining room every day now to do their school. So, um, so at least in my house, I have a dining room. Um, It's an old house. And of course, people were more formal back then. So, we have a, a sort of dedicated room that is actually the dining room. What about your house? So mine is much more like a lot of folks who tend to have an open floor plan space these days. And so it can, it's just one big room that has designated areas for kitchen or living room and TV. And then where the dining room table is, which actually made me laugh. I saw somebody share, I think it was on the milk and honey t-shirts Instagram account this week, this very funny quote that said, I want to see an HGTV show where they say, how do you like your open plan living now? (laughs) 
And I showed it to Peter last night and we started laughing because our dining and living and it's all just one big mash of humanity, Christy. <laughs> but at the center, we do have a big old dining room table. So, I mean, it qualifies that tiny, like, what is that? Probably like four foot by four foot area of our open floor plan is the dining room. <laughs> I love it, though. I think that's actually good to acknowledge here at the beginning that we may be telling stories from the dining room or in future episodes from other rooms, but we might play sort of loose with the definitions of those rooms. And I think that's actually that's best. That's yeah, the way basically, be. we mean anywhere where you stand or sit to eat your food. So maybe it's the breakfast <laughs> nook counter. Maybe it's out on the back porch for you these days. Maybe it's on a picnic blanket in the grass when you can't stand your kids and you've sent them outside to eat. But the place where you gather for food, the table or the folding table or the bench or the blanket, wherever it is <laughs> where you are seated these days for a meal is what we are now going to designate the dining room. <laughs> so, Lisa Joe, as I was thinking about stories I might have from the dining room, I was just focused on the table itself, first of all. We have a really enormous um, dining room table. And the reason for that is that when we lived in Chicago, the first home that Jonathan and I purchased together, um, I think we'd been married seven, eight years at that point, and our oldest was about to turn one, and we bought a little condo in the city in Chicago, and it was also an old house. I think that apartment building had been built around the year 1900, so it had, it was not a huge apartment at all, but Lisa Joe, the biggest room in the whole apartment Yep. The dining room. I right? remember it well. It was <laughs> such a beautiful room. And I remember it those was. floors with their creaky old wood as yeah. you walk. But you the dining room was interesting because the whole apartment was laid out just, you know, a long strip essentially. Right. So you had to like walk from the lounge when you came in through the dining room to get to the kitchen. So it was exactly interestingly enough, it wasn't a dining room that became sometimes dining rooms are the places nobody goes because they're too fancy. But I liked how yours was in many ways the heart of all the traffic that had to go back mm -hmm. and forth from one end of the apartment to the other. It really was. It was in that sense, I think the busiest space in the apartment. I think they call those old apartments um, railroad style. Oh, that would make sense. All the rooms are laid out in a line as if they're on railroad tracks. Right. So you're right. We had to sort of march through um, the dining room to get to the kitchen. And the reason the kitchen was in the very back like that, because again, the house was built 100 years ago when even very modest families living in a little city apartment like that might have had... Um, a kitchen maid or some kitchen help, some live-in help of some sort. And her domain would have been back there with the kitchen. And there was a teeny tiny little bedroom off of the kitchen. And that's how all the apartments in our um, little building were designed. And so that's why, you know, at that time, family structures, you know, there was no, it, it was like the opposite of open floor plan living, I guess. <laughs> it was like boxed in floor plan, it like was. a boxcar. <laughs> so we had this enormous dining room. And I think a lot of, Probably a lot of young couples. I mean, you know, it's just John and I. We had this little baby. Um, I was in graduate school. And yet, oh, Lisa Joe, that huge dining room just did my little home-loving, Martha Stewart-loving heart. Like, it just made my heart beat so happily. <laughs> and so, the very first thing we did after buying that little condo um, was to make our first big furniture purchase really of our married life and we bought an enormous dining room table the biggest that i could find with the most of those big wooden leaves that you can insert into the middle so it, it grows bigger and bigger because i thought why well, have this dining room 
if I'm not filling it with the table? I mean, why have this space if I'm not packing in as many people as possible? And we did over the years there. We packed in so many people. So I have this vivid memory, actually, of um, soon after we moved in, we had very little furniture. Most of the rooms were, you know, half empty. But we had in the dining room, we had a rug and we had this huge table. We had no chairs. We had no nowhere to put dishes or anything like that. <laughs> but you had a table. <laughs> a huge table. Yes. And I just have this one memory of Jonathan's parents traveling up to be with us because our oldest was turning one. So we moved in right before her first birthday. So they came up to celebrate with us. And they brought, um, this was their first grandchild. So they brought bubbles, you know, bubbles in the little oh, plastic yes. bottles. Yeah. And they wanted to share bubbles with their granddaughter and she'd never seen bubbles before and so i can remember we all hung out in the dining room we sat on the carpet again no <laughs> chairs and we blew bubbles what? to each other and watched little baby lily crawl around and chase the bubbles in our huge <laughs> dining room <laughs> so as i was thinking about my room now and that same table i mean it's the same table here in pennsylvania all i could picture was myself with my my wonderful um Mother and father-in-law, my husband, when we were so young, <laughs> all those, you know, 16 years ago, chasing bubbles under the table. And I don't know, the story has no meaning other than just one of those memories that I think has left its mark, possibly literally. I mean, we, we might have actually marked that table with bubbles. We've certainly left all kinds of marks on that table. I mean, there's nothing like a dining room table for picking up marks. And I'm sure mine is getting carved in new ways right now. <laughs> <laughs> I love that so much. You're so right. There is something about the dining room that imprints on us. And I think for me, the two that stand out in my mind the most are the one we lived in in our tiny little rental house in Northern Virginia. For a long time, the house I've talked about a lot that I wanted to leave every year. Every year, I hoped we could move out of this tiny, tiny space. And every June, we wouldn't have the money and we couldn't move. And um, for those of you that are in dining rooms these days that have carpet and you have small children, you really have my heart because I just remember the horror of what the carpet under the, the tiny dining room table we had in this little pocket-sized apartment. And I just knew every day after we'd eaten something with our three tiny children that we were never, ever going to get our security deposit back, just ever. <laughs> it was so bad. <laughs> the things they spilled on the floor underneath that table just ground into the carpet. Oh. And I remember that table was so tiny. The small little pine table we had got at Value City Furniture when Pete and I first got married in South Bend, Indiana. We had bought it with the most uncomfortable chairs we've ever owned that came with it, four little pine chairs. And we had that table for the first 17 years of our marriage. And I remember when we first bought it, I told Peter, this table seems really small and these chairs are really uncomfortable. And he had said to me, oh, it's just a starter table. We'll just have it for our, you know, newlywed apartment. <laughs> Oh, no. <laughs> 17 years later. <laughs> so sad. But it didn't matter what gr ground into the table or painted on the table or the glue that stuck to the table. It just became this 
workspace slash eating space slash everything in this small apartment. And usually when we had guests over, there wasn't room for adults to even sit at the table. Like we would seat three or four children at the table and then there's really nothing more you could do. Um, And the rest of us would camp out in the living room on couches. And I remember when we moved to the house we own now in Maryland, which is the first house we've ever bought. I've talked about it a lot, but the very first piece of furniture we moved into this house was a brand new (laughs) dining room table that I had waited 17 years to own. And we did research and there was a family here in Maryland who make these beautiful wooden farmhouse style tables. You could order it however many feet you wanted. I think ours is eight or 10 feet long. And it was so heavy when they delivered it that it took like six men to carry it into the house. We were worried it wouldn't fit but it is the most beautiful piece of furniture. Mm. I was so thrilled to have that table placed in the house. But what's funny is that the small dining room table we had owned from Value City is still with us. It sits in my boy's bedroom and is currently serving as one of their desks. But of course, with open plan living, where does everybody gather to do their work? Around the big dining room table. And it took such a beating in the first three years we lived here that it kind of stripped the finish off of it. And I remember telling Peter one day, this table doesn't look the same color that it was when we first bought it. Like, what has (laughs) happened to this table? The legs are a completely different color than the surface. And I was talking to a friend of ours, Amy, who you know, and she's an incredible Mm -hmm. illustrator and does a lot of the work for our online care package, Paper and String. She does beautiful art. She's a lot like you, Christy, just an amazing homemaker and placemaker. And she was over one day and just said to me, you know what we should do? We should strip this table and then re- restain it. And, and I said, I, I don't know what the words are that you're saying. What, what do those mean? <laughs> she said, it'll be easy. The problem with Amy is anything that seems complicated, her response is always like, oh, it'll be easy. It'll be easy. And so <laughs> this summer, she actually came over and we spent several days uh, sanding off the top of the table. And I remember we sanded out, you know, these lovingly encarved, engraved marks that people were like, you're going to miss those so much from your children. And I said, listen, I've got a decade more to go. I'm sure there'll be many more marks on this table. Right. <laughs> we are okay to remove these. And we sanded it down, we stained it, and then we sealed it with varnish. And it's so beautiful. It has this deep, rich chocolate brown mm. color again. And I remember in the early days of finishing that table, my kids would come home from school and just exhale. And even my son, my Micah said to me, he's nearly nearly 13. He would go, ooh, mom, I just love coming home. I love this table. Mm. And I noticed my husband would walk by the table and run his hand on its surface. <laughs> and it just became this very beautiful, meaningful thing that I could not believe I had helped create. There's something mm. really powerful and feeling like, oh, I did this. I took something old and I made it new. And that table, though, has become much like yours, Christy, a catch-all for schoolwork all day, mm-hmm. every day. My work, Peter's work, we're all taking shifts around the table. And because it's open plan, you know, there'll be a few of us around the table and then some of us desperately in bedrooms trying to get some work done. But I was laughing last night because I realized part of what I'm trying to create when I think about home right now, this place where we don't have a choice but to stay home is how do I keep creating that feeling of exhale that you experience Mm -hmm. when you would usually come home from a hard day of work? It's hard when the dining room table just feels like it doesn't change. It's always just, you know, a standing room for 
chaos. And so last night, we actually brought back into the dining room one of the benches that went with our old table that we got from Value City that had come with these two little benches. And I placed the bench alongside the wall in back of the dining room table. And we moved all the schoolwork onto the bench against the wall and completely cleared off the surface of the table. And I kid you not, Chrissy, I could feel myself exhale. Mm. (laughs) And it's now become habit to clear the table off at night and be able to gather for dinner. And I know some of you are thinking, listen, I've spent a lot of time with my people. Why would I want to gather with them every evening (laughs) still? And some nights we just watch Parks and Rec together. But most nights we come back together around the table that I try and put maybe one candle on or some flowers from the yard. And even if we're just eating off paper plates that night, there is something about sitting back down around the table to do something other than school, to sit down and communally exhale and eat and then ask people how they're doing or what's the show they're watching or what did they learn in school today. I've been surprised for someone who's not a natural placemaker how meaningful the table has become both as a vehicle for school, but also to continue to do its work as a place to exhale and gather the family every night. Hmm. I think that's really helpful because I'm sure many, many of our listeners will just have the one table like you do. In our house, we do have two. We have a a smaller kitchen table, and we've been having all of our meals around that table because the dining room is covered (laughs) with school stuff. Um, But I've been sitting... So, okay. So here's the thing, Lisa Joe. You, you mentioned placemaking. I'm such a placemaker at heart. I love nothing more than rearranging furniture or reconfiguring a space to help it um, service better or to stay more organized. I mean, it's just one of my favorite things to do. So in the first couple weeks of this, I would sit in the dining room with the kids helping with their work, and I would look around whenever there was a quieter moment. And I would tell myself, okay, if this, if I were, I would say something like this, if I were a real homeschool mom, that's how I would put it. If I were really doing this thing that I'm doing, (laughs) I would completely rearrange this room. I would empty some of these shelves where I have dishes and knickknacks and china, and I would organize it so that it works like a schoolroom. I would have a calendar over here and I would have a spot here for, you know, each kid, you know, to, to store their stuff and, and I would enjoy, you know, remaking this room, not as a dining room, but but as a dedicated schoolroom. So I would sit there thinking that, and then I would think, but there's no way I'm doing that. That would take so much energy, uh, so much work. I don't even really know where I would store the dishes and those things that I, I do still need and have. And also, I'm not really doing this. This is mm. just temporary, right? Right. Well, the weeks went on, right? On and right. on and on. And now, what is it? I think we've done six weeks as of this recording, six weeks of wow. school at home, I think. My goodness. I don't I don't want to look at the calendar. I don't want to count it exactly, but it's something like that. That's a long time. <laughs> and we now know, you know, at least here in Pennsylvania, like it will be for many of our listeners, whether you're a parent or maybe you work in a school, um, we're not going back to our neighborhood school this year. Um, we hope we will go back in the fall, but we are not going back this year. So I know that I have weeks ahead of me for for this to be the schoolroom. So I have been wondering, Lisa Joe, do I do that? Does that make sense? And and I don't know honestly because it would take a lot of energy. Um, we can 
we're, we're managing fine. You know, everything just sits on the table and it's kind of a mess, but we can eat in the kitchen. It's not the end of the world. But I had a feeling when I knew you and I said, hey, let's tell stories in the dining room. I knew I was going to ask this question out loud. What do I do today with my dining room? Do I... Do I keep it in this kind of hybrid halfway place where you look around and it looks like it's old self, but then you sit at the table and you see, nope, this is its new identity, schoolroom. And that's okay. I don't think these there are right or wrong answers. I just haven't figured out um, where to put my energy exactly. And I don't know, maybe in the course of this conversation, some wisdom will come to me. Again, I don't think for everyone or every family, there's going to be one size fits all kind of answer, but... I don't know, Lisa Joe. I'm tempted. I'm tempted to get in there with dust cloth and, you know, those big Tupperware Rubbermaid boxes with lids <laughs> and maybe store stuff away in the basement. I don't know. I don't know. I'm wondering if that would help the kids or I'm wondering if it even matters that much. You know, we're, you know, we're fumbling along fine. The kids are doing their work and and then we're all pretty, pretty eager now that spring is here to escape that room and get outside. We're lucky to have a yard. Sure, at, at some point, maybe we'll tell stories from the backyard. But <laughs> <laughs> so I, I don't know. But I guess I guess I bring up the question because I have a feeling others who are listening maybe have similar questions they they need to ask about their spaces right now. If a space is feeling really uncomfortable um, or just like it's really not serving you. We have time in this strange season to really reconsider how we're using every place in our room. And if that sounds horrifying to you and you don't want to do that, fine, don't. But I bet there are other people like me who kind of like thinking about those things. Like, I don't know. And even you, look at you. You brought in the bench and you did something new and now it works better. Now it's your dining room and your school room. So I don't know. I just have a feeling a lot of people are going to be rearranging these days. I know I'd love to hear from our listeners in that regard. One of the things we're going to invite you to do for each of these episodes is to take a picture of the room of the house we're talking about each week and tag us on Instagram. We would really love to be able to see your dining rooms this week and how you're using them. Send us your suggestions. Have you converted your dining room into a kind of a school room? How are you managing the clutter that comes with at-home school? Or is everybody doing school in their bedrooms? Please find us on Instagram. I'm at Lisa Joe Baker and Christy is at Christy Pure. And you can always use our hashtag out of the ordinary podcast, but I think it'd be really helpful for each of us to share because maybe as a community, we can offer ideas and crowdsource with Mm -hmm. one another. What is happening in these rooms of ours that we're spending so much time in? You know, Christy, I was thinking about an article that was written this week by Andy Crouch, and he wrote this wonderful piece talking about how we mustn't think of what we're going through right now as like a winter snowstorm that we're just hunkered down trying to wait till it passes. <laughs> this isn't discouraging to say out loud. He said, <laughs> it's better to think of it as entering a new ice age is how he wow. described it. Wow. Just mentally. Like, and so what, mm-hmm. you know, the, which is reflected by what you're saying. You've been looking at your room thinking it doesn't matter. It's temporary. It's going to switch yes. back. But now you're asking yourself, but maybe we've actually entered yeah. a season that's completely different. That's not mm-hmm. passing that I have to adjust for. Yeah. I find winter and ice age to be depressing concepts and prefer to think <laughs> in terms of stories. And so I think for a long time, I've thought of this as a plot twist, right? Like we're in this plot twist season We're going to come out the other side and the regular story will resume. And instead, what I'm starting to realize is, no, no, 
a whole new book has begun. This is a mm-hmm. story that's standalone. Mm-hmm. And if that's true, what what do I have to change then about my understanding about this narrative? Which feels more help, helpful and hopeful to me because it, it says I'm allowed to ask those questions now in a positive way. What serves my family long term? Yeah. What does it yeah. look like in order for us all to not just survive, but to thrive in what we are now entering? Oh, good. Not just survive, but thrive. I love that. And I'm also thinking that some of our listeners, they may not be schooling anyone at home, but they have quite possibly turned their dining room into a home office. They're not going to work anymore, but many people now are working remotely who can do that. And so there may be dining rooms that have now become offices, which is similar, you know, it's a similar concept to the schoolroom. And those workers, you're right. Um, I think it it quite likely that many people who've traditionally always gone into an office, um, even once this is quote unquote over, whatever that means or looks like, might continue to work remotely. And so I think for some of us, you're absolutely right that this might be um, a twist in our story and the story is going to continue in this direction. It's not going to come back around to the normal we remember. I thought of something similar. I hope this isn't, I hope this won't depress you. <laughs> now that I think about it, I'm like, this is kind of a depressing image. <laughs> but um, so I was actually out today, which that's very unusual to leave our houses these days. I, I, I think since this started in our community, I have only left the house twice, maybe, because my husband has been doing the grocery shopping. But um, as a reward to a child, (laughs) I had promised that I would let them come in the car with me and I would take them through a drive-thru for Mm, an ice cream cone. So (laughs) today I did that. Um, And I'm still figuring out, as many people are, what are the protocols in my area here in Pennsylvania? We're supposed to wear masks when we leave the house. So um, I had my mask and I wore it in the car. The child in the back did not, but you know, she was well in the back. So I had my mask on, I'm driving, and I saw a flag pole somewhere, I think at the local school, and the flag was at half, half, what do they say? Half, half mass. mass, half staff. Yeah. yeah. And at first I thought, oh, what's going on? And then I remembered, oh, that's right. This week we hit some really terrible milestones in terms of the um, suffering and losses we've suffered in this country around this virus. And I remembered that flags were going to be lowered um, in honor of those people. And I had this thought. I thought, oh, wouldn't it be interesting to stop? And like, here I'm in this mask. Like, what if I took, I never take selfies. You know that about me. But I actually thought it would be so interesting for posterity, for my children and my grandchildren to right now have a photo of myself, the flag at half mast and a mask on my face. And I thought, that might be worth remembering in a photograph, not to share online, but just to have as a family. And then, but I kept driving, of course, I wasn't going to stop and actually do it. It was just a thought that popped in my head. And then Lisa Joe, I thought, Christy, what if this thing that seems so strange to you, going out with a mask, becomes normal, becomes something you're used to doing for months or a year, you know, I right? We just don't know. Mm. What if what feels so strange today and worthy of memorializing in a photograph becomes just how we go about in the future, that maybe we get back out there, we, we start going back to church and going to stores, but we do it with with masks on. And, and that at this point seems, you know, like a Horrifying, real, like a horror movie. Hor- You're describing yeah, a post-apocalyptic horror, <laughs> yes. like a real possibility. Wow. And um, and again, I don't, I don't know the answer to that, but it did make it. It was just one more recognition that 
what today feels like a crazy one-off. Oh my gosh, look at me out to get an ice cream cone with a mask on my face. Might in the near future just feel like our new normal. It might actually be the new normal. Mm. Okay, super depressing. But leaving that aside, actually, if we take that attitude to our homes and our spaces, I think it can be freeing to not let ourselves continue to be trapped in our rooms that aren't working for the ways we're living now, but to to be free to tell new stories with these spaces and to kind of flip them upside down and and let them be the refuge I think they can be, to let them be the shelter they can be, to let them be the safe place that they can be. We just might need to get a little creative first. Mm. I don't know. Does that make sense? Yes, and it's scary. And whenever yeah. I'm afraid of a story, a new story that threatens mm. me or intimidates me, I like to go back to the refuge of old stories. And last week, when we were telling the story post-Easter, we were really talking about a table in a dining room, right? I mean, when Jesus mm-hmm. broke bread with his disciples for Passover, they were in an upper room. And we know there wouldn't have been a table the way we think of it now. They would have reclined, you know, on the floor. There would have been something very low. But that concept of gathering, and it's interesting, we didn't choose the dining room as our first uh, room of the house to explore <laughs> here in the series with any kind of deep religious significance. Instead, we just thought a dining room is a very relatable place for the heart and the center of all the changes of being forced to stay home. And we wanted to keep embracing the space rather than resenting it. But, but as so often happens in these conversations, there are these layers of significance we only recognize once we get deep into the conversation. And I love that Jesus, (laughs) in the most ancient story of them all, broke bread around a table, whatever that table looked like, in a dining room with his friends while they were about to head out into a very scary story. And I just find such comfort in that. Anytime I start to get intimidated about the future, I look to the past and I remember that there is nothing we can walk into that Jesus is afraid of or surprised Mm -hmm. by, and that he knows what it's like to step into a new story that feels like something every part of you wants to resist. And so I'm going to keep that in mind when I look at that beautiful table, when I ran, when I run my fingers down it, when I feel the softness of the varnish, when I see the school books, or when we're eating either Wendy's or on a good night when I've made mm-hmm. salmon around that table. <laughs> I am going to know that the table is the place where God entered into a new covenant with his people. And that he promises not to leave us, not to forsake us, not to forget us, and that he calls himself the bread of life. He himself is what we get to sustain us through all of these completely bizarre new realities. And so I think it's a great place to start with that room and to just remind ourselves as you look at your table tonight, as you look at your walls that might have old spaghetti sauce on them (laughs) or new spaghetti sauce, depending on how dinner went last night. But that you just remember that Christ is with us at those tables and in those rooms, and He's not afraid. He's delighted by us, Mm -hmm. and He invites us into a spirit of gratitude as He promises to be our daily bread. Lisa Jo, thinking of it that way actually makes me more grateful and glad that I get to do more things around the table now. Mm. I get to do school (laughs) with my kids around the table. I get to do first grade reading and phonics and math around the table. I get to now um, do some of my own work around the dining room table because while my kids are doing their school, I'll bring my laptop and try to get, you know, tackle some emails or something. 
as well as eat with my family around the table. So much more of life. My husband is doing work at the dining room table often. So much more of our lives is happening around the table. And and if you're right, and I think you are, that this table is a really special sacred place, well, I'm glad I get to live more of my life these days um, around a sacred space like that. that. That's something to be glad about. So thank you. Thanks. Yes, I liked it. We spotted some of the magic in our ordinary walls again this we week. <laughs> and we'd like to invite you, dear listeners, come weigh in on social media and let us know which room of the house you'd like us to unpack next, because we are really excited at the idea of digging deep into the walls of our own homes for all the Mm -hmm. stories that lurk there just waiting to be unpacked and to remind us that there is really as usual all kinds of extra packed into the ordinary of our homes so come find us on instagram i'm at lisa joe baker and i'm at christy purifoy until next week everyone if you enjoyed today's conversation won't you take a moment right now open up that podcast app and look for the subscribe button right next to our podcast profile image And we think this podcast is best enjoyed with friends. So tell a friend, click share episode in your podcast app and send a friend our link. 